Welcome back to the Edge Podcast. Brendan Slaughter alongside Jared Hallis for BeaversEdge.com. It's a signing day edition of the podcast. Oregon State wrapping up National Signing Day earlier this week, signing 19 kids. Jared, what are your just kind of initial thoughts on this class as the Beavers put together a pretty good group? Oh, yeah, definitely a very good class. Johnson Smith was quick to make note of the, the complete effort that went into to making all this happen. They put a lot of positions of need, have a lot of good high-rated guys coming in. And uh, like I said, you know, filled a lot of positions of need, a lot of early enrollees coming in. So things are definitely looking, looking up with this uh, 2020 class. Again, thanks for joining us here on the Edge Podcast. Managing Editor Brendan Slaughter here, joined by recruiting analyst Jared Hallis. Oregon State, December signing day, they signed most of their kids. They're probably not going to take too many in the next signing period. So we pretty much know what the crux of this class looks like. And on paper, Jared, it's an impressive class for Jonathan Smith coming off a 5-7 and seven season. Yeah, it certainly is. If you're, if you're subscribed to Beaver's Edge, you've probably seen a little bit of the work we've done. Even if not, you may have seen it. But as far as rankings go, it's definitely up there with some of the better classes for the last decade. So uh, to be able to do that and uh, already for, for Smith and, and Co. is definitely uh, impressive. No, and if you want to get that exclusive access to the message boards, the recruiting nuggets, all that stuff, we got a great deal going at beaversedge.com right now. If you sign up, you get a $75 Nike gift card for free. For free. Free is a great price, Jared. I, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know who doesn't want anything free. Free is the best, doesn't matter what you get. And uh, especially with, with Nike being Oregon State sponsor, it kind of just goes hand in hand. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's like mashed potatoes and gravy, man. It just flows. So as you're kind of looking at the class, you know, Jonathan Smith had a lot of different ways to describe it yesterday. You know, he was very pleased. You could tell um, just from the vibe around Valley Football Center, whether it was, you know, uh, the recruiting staff led by Vince Ginta, Derek Ray, Jonathan Smith, president uh, or athletic director Scott Barnes was there. There were just smiles all around. You could tell it was a happy kind of a moment. You could tell they were really giddy about the class and, you know, when you kind of look at the mix of players they got, the transfers coming in, and then even some sleepers, you know, for an Oregon State fan, this is probably the most exciting class you can get behind in some time, just given for the fact that it's not a, a class that's buoyed number-wise, that's going to, you know, bring it up just by having a sheer number of recruits. And it still turned out to be a top 45 class. So when you look at that, I got to say that's impressive for Jonathan Smith. Definitely. You talk about them just kind of, looking happy everybody's smiling that's that's a product of people doing their job and doing it well and not having anything to, to be stressed out about and that was one of the biggest things for me as we went into the signing day yesterday was just the fact that everyone who was committed except for one was expected and did sign all before noon even like i saw the the tweet from the from the official oregon state athletics account and said save the drama for netflix there was just <laughs> no drama which which like i noted yesterday and the five takeaways uh, on beaversedge.com, but that, that everybody wants a surprise. Everybody wants something crazy to happen. You know, kid, kid picks an Oregon State hat up on a on a signing day ceremony. But at the end of the day, man, for for the coaches and for even the fans to go into that day knowing that what they've got is what they're getting, you know, it's it's, it's pretty nice. And it sounds like it rang pretty true with the coaches yesterday. No, and and I think just for Oregon State in general, you know, you kind of go back a couple of years. This is you know my you know fifth or fourth year kind of being in Valley for the signing days, and you know I just even go back to a couple of years ago when you know I remember being there early in the morning with the coaches when they were still waiting on guys and even had you know a couple guys that flipped last minute. And then you look at this class, you and I talked about it all week heading in. There wasn't going to be any kind of drama. Everyone was locked in. I think that's just a credit to the fact that Jonathan Smith. 
and his entire staff, they set out goals, they targeted kids, they identified them early, they hammered them with the in-home visits this month, and they made sure their solid commits were solid, and I got to give them credit. No one flipped. No one flipped. I guess, yeah, everybody everybody who was expected to sign, signed, and signed quickly. So it was it was overall just a really, really good signing day, and like like we pointed out earlier, a lot of a lot of needs were met, and uh, overall, just a very, very good signing day and uh, a new chapter for Oregon State football. No, and you said it perfectly, kind of that the fills of need, you know, because you looked at this 2019 season, the Beavers were close, five and seven. They really had multiple opportunities to get to that six win. You could tell they just needed a little bit more in several areas, and you know, you look at what this class has done so far. It looks like on paper they filled all those needs. So we'll go ahead and break down that class. But before we do, let's hear from Jonathan Smith from yesterday at his press conference. He kind of talked about what he liked most about the class. Yeah, I think we uh, – I like that we, you know, we're across the board positionally. You know, we uh, – from linebacker spot, DBs, offensively, each spot's kind of getting added to uh, like that. I think we got some real depth in that. I like the mix of, again, a few older players, but at the same time not going all – all in on two-year type players. We got a good mix of high school and three-year players and some two-year players. So when you kind of hear Jonathan Smith talk about that, what's kind of your reaction to, you know, him identifying going after guys that, you know, not just high school guys, JUCO guys, and more importantly, you've seen kind of an uptick in those JUCO guys that have three years as opposed to two, and I think that's a huge, huge benefit for the Bees. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you talk a lot about the transfer portal nowadays, but a lot of people seem to forget the fact that, that the JUCO route's becoming a lot more popular as well. As you think, see things like Last Chance U and stuff like that start Definitely. to get more publicity. It's becoming more of an attractive option for these high school kids. And then, obviously, when when they do what they're supposed to do, they end up being really, really good college prospects with with some experience taking college courses already as well. So for for staffs to be able to look at those guys and for Oregon State especially, to bring in some of the top guys, especially in the secondary, it, uh, it, it really helped out. No, and, and again, for the complete breakdown of you know signing day and Jonathan Smith, head on over to beaversedge.com. we got lots of content, and we'll continue to have content in the coming days surrounding the Beavers' class. But let's go ahead and dive right on into it. Uh, we'll go ahead and start at the top. We'll work from quarterback down. So first up, Oregon State's four-year, you know, freshman coming out of high school quarterback, Ben Gilbranson, six foot three, two hundred and twenty pounds. What are your first initial thoughts on Ben? Yeah, Ben had a, a really, really great season. He threw uh, nearly three thousand yards, a lot of touchdowns. His team around him was not as, as really as good as they'd have liked it to have been. But uh, Ben's, Ben's got a great arm. He's a mobile kid. He scored a lot of rushing touchdowns as well. Uh, and I think I, I think I posted a GIF on the on the Edge profile not too long ago on Twitter. Uh, there was just like a, a run that he had. It was like 50-something yards to win a game. So Ben's a guy, obviously not a dual-threat guy by any means, but he's a guy that can get it done uh, in multiple different ways. And like I pointed out, has a great arm, really, really great kid, great family, just a really, really overall solid, solid recruit for, for Oregon State to bring in and, and have in Corvallis for the next four years. No, I agree completely. And the thing with, you know, Gobranson obviously is that, you know, he'll have the benefit of being able to really develop. I know a lot of, you know, Oregon State fans, kind of the first thing when they think of Ben Gobranson, his completion percentage wasn't great at Newberry Park this last year. But when I look at that, I, I kind of see, like you said, not a spectacular team around him uh, in, sure. in in that regard. And then 
also, additionally, you know, that's something that can be worked on. You know, uh, Coach Lindgren, as we know, was a hot commodity this offseason. And uh, Jonathan Smith pointed out yesterday, just because, you know, essentially Arizona State was buoyed away, you know, the coaching carousel for assistance is still far from over. And he noted yesterday saying that, you know, you always have to keep tabs on your assistance. And, you know, when you're doing things well, it's going to take notice. And, um, you know, that's where I think it, with Lindgren staying in Corvallis, I think Goldbranson can really grow. I anticipate he'll redshirt this year, but give this kid a couple years. I, th- I think he could be uh, an impressive uh, option at the quarterback position. Uh, moving right along, maybe one of the gems, if not the only, like the big time gem of the class, four star JUCO quarterback Chance Nolan, six foot three, two hundred pounds. This guy is kind of the big wild card heading into spring football, isn't he, Jaron? Yeah, absolutely. He's somebody that that will surprise people. I think a lot of people are already surprised to to see his ranking as uh, as rivals put that in there a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but definitely. Is, is is a fair fair rating for a guy like him. If you watch his if you watch his JUCO tape, he actually just lights it up Definitely. game by game at Saddleback. So really really versatile playmaker, fast kid can can again like Drew Branson, but maybe a little bit more of a dual threat. Uh, just a really really good quarterback and uh, yeah, a wild card headed into spring. Absolutely, he's uh, set to arrive in January. So. He'll be uh he'll definitely be making a push for for that starting job. Yeah, you know I talked to him the day the day he committed, and you know just a tremendous kid. You know he's got a great work ethic. You know started his career obviously at Middle Tennessee State. It didn't work out. Went to Saddleback, and he just has a a real kind of desire to compete. And I think that's you know when you go to JUCO and then after going to a four year college, I think it offers perspective. And you know he said it was tough for him to kind of have to go from D one where in his words, he's like, things are kind of catered to you a little bit when then you go to JUCO and you have to fight for everything. I think, you know, he just kind of will bring a really good presence to the quarterback room. Obviously, Tristan Jebbia, you know, appears to be kind of the guy in waiting. But when I look at Chance Nolan, I see a guy that's got potential because he's got, you know, uh, three years to play. And more importantly, he adds an element that Oregon State has not had at the quarterback position since Seth Collins. And even that's not a spectacular example because Seth Collins couldn't throw the ball as well as Chance Nolan. The Beavers uh, historically have not, you know, recruited these guys that can really do it. And you look at what Chance Nolan did on the ground having, you know, over a thousand yards rushing. That's a guy that, you know, isn't, you know, just running just to run. I mean, that's a guy that's like you're talking design quarterback runs throughout the year. And I think we could see Oregon State's offense really open up if he's able to kind of fight for that job because I think he could bring a real dual threat. The RPO game could be really, really strong, you know, with a Jamar Jefferson, B.J. Baylor, and then potentially having Trayvon Bradford, maybe even Zariah Beeson in the receiving course. So I think he could really – I want to see him play in spring, but I'm very excited for his potential. Absolutely, and at the very worst, it's it's never a bad thing to have guys like him and, and Ben who can come right in and and you know kind of push maybe push Tristan Zebby a little bit to you know go a little bit harder throughout the spring and fall because like you said, it's kind of the vibe that he's the guy who's been waiting and everything, but nothing's handed to you, especially not in the in the age of this transfer portal and things like that. Somebody can come in and take the spot right away. So for for someone to have uh, guys like these two that are coming in behind him to to push them and, and have a great competition throughout the spring, summer, and, and head into the fall is going to be really big. No, and you look at even just this last year. I mean, 
this year was essentially supposed to be Tristan Jebbia's year. You know, Jake Luton was able to get that sixth year, but then, you know, the quarterback battle, you know, ensued through spring and, you know, into fall camp before they named Luton the starter. But, you know, that's the thing is like Jake Luton was a good quarterback, but he beat out Tristan Jebbia. My question is, is Tristan Jebbia going to be, you know, he's got the advantage. He's been in Lindgren's offense for this will be coming up on year three. So that's a huge hmm. advantage. I mean, you can't even quantify that compared to the rest of the guys coming in. But I think that Nolan brings a, a, a unique aspect where, you know, Tristan Jebbia, we saw this last year, he's was a lot more mobile than Jake Luton, and J the coaching staff really appreciates and likes the fact that he's able to move a little bit more. But, you know, um, I don't think necessarily Oregon State ex uh, thought, you know, early on what was going to happen, but they ended up getting... Uh, a really impressive kid, Nolan, and he's going to be one of the guys you really, really want to keep an eye on when spring football starts, no doubt. Um, moving right along, let's go to the only running back. Two straight years, Jared, the Beavers take just one running back. Last year it was Tehran wow. Madison. This year it's Isaiah Newell. Let's break down. What what are the Beavers getting in Isaiah? Okay, Isaiah's a great kid, first and foremost. Really, really awesome guy. I get to talk to him a lot. Uh, and, and not only is he great off the field, but even better on the field. Well, maybe not, but he's a great kid both on and off the field. And uh, that obviously is, is pretty apparent when you when you look at his stats at, at Los Angeles High School. The guy can straight up run the ball. He's fast. He's powerful. And he's a guy that can, kind of can, can do it all at the, at the running back position. So very, very great addition. I think when they, when they got him, it kind of just solidified that they were only going to take one more in this class as they did last year uh, because he, he's – He's that good, and Oregon State has good running backs already. So Isaiah's a very great addition, and like I said, we'll bring a versatile playmaking ability to the running back room. Well, obviously, right off the bat, I already have a, a, a soft spot for Isaiah Newell as I'm reading You know what we put together yesterday. Wants to study broadcast communications at Oregon State and would like to go into yeah. sports broadcasting as he's done. Isaiah, as an Oregon State grad and, you know, did the digital communications and did that route myself, I hope, you know, I hope you get to do it because it's going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, I kind of want to mm -hmm. talk to him now that he wants to be a sports broadcaster. He's probably a well-spoken young man. Yeah, no, Isaiah's a great kid. Really, really awesome to talk to. And he's, it's funny, a lot of times we're the ones reaching out to these kids, but Isaiah will often message me on Twitter or shoot me a text or whatever just to kind of say, hey, like if I post a story and he's he's interested in it already, like right away, hey, like even if it's not about him, and that's another thing about him too as well. He's, he's very quick to point out that the class around him is full of playmakers as well. But we all know that Isaiah is also a playmaker. But, yeah, anytime, anytime we post something on Beaver's Edge, on Twitter or anything, he'll always shoot me a message just trying to read more about his future teammates. And I think that speaks about his personality. 100% uh, moving right along. Uh, another one of the gems of the class committed the Beavers pretty early in the process with Ben Branson back in May. Ride receiver Zariah Beeson, 5'11", 195 out of Duncanville, just outside mm -hmm. of Dallas. Interesting. You know, there's a lot to kind of dissect with Zariah because typically Oregon State's not recruiting Texas very hard. They're not, you know, their their pipeline's mm -hmm. more the West Coast, so... Take me through, Jared, like Jonathan Smith talked a little bit about it yesterday, how uh, wide receivers coach Kofense Henson identified him early. They were able to get down to Dallas, even though they don't really have a recruiting presence there. How was Beeson kind of able to fall in love with Oregon State, given that the Beavers don't have a strong presence there and you have a lot of outside pressure 
from Texas, knowing that you have a ton of schools that are very good and very, you know, high level just in your own backyard. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, you, just while we're on that note, Zariah's got one of the more impressive offer sheets you'll ever see. Absolutely. And a lot of them are from schools right around him. He's got, I mean, we look at his offer sheet, he's got a team that will probably compete for the national championship in LSU, uh, a lot of SEC schools. But but the thing that attracted Zariah, not only to Oregon State, but overall to the Pac-12 was the fact that, you know, the Pac-12 is known for, for airing it out. And that's something that Zariah hasn't had a great chance to be a part of in high school, given that his offense that he runs at Duncanville is a little bit more run heavy. So from the get-go, it was pretty apparent that, maybe not apparent, but it was, it was a well-known fact that Zariah was very interested in the Pac-12. Like you said, Coach Henson did a great job developing that relationship early on, which which played a big role down the line. But definitely the fact that he's going to have a lot of opportunities especially being an early enrollee coming in next month in January, he's going to have a lot of opportunities early on to, to showcase his ability and, you know, maybe be a guy that, that you can see on the field in, in the fall. Yeah, no, Jonathan Smith, you know, talked about it yesterday, and he actually singled out Zariah saying that, you know, he will certainly have a chance. And given that Isaiah Hodgins departed, that's obviously going to leave a bit of a hole. The Beavers have receivers, uh, you know, in the waiting and in the wings that had really good seasons this year. But my question for you, Jared, is do you think Zariah Beeson, 5'11", 195, is he physically ready to come in and be that guy? Can he be that guy at the receiver for the Beavers? Because on paper, you know, Oregon State fans, when he did commit, he was a four-star for rivals since been knocked down Mm -hmm. to a three. You know, on paper, that shows Beaver fans, this is our next great receiver. And I think back to when he committed, there was, and I've said it, you know, several times in our stories at BeaversEdge.com. The thing that stood out to me the most is after he committed, Brandon Cooks, former Oregon State receiver, current LA Ram, quote tweets him on Twitter and says, "Calling it now, this kid's gonna be a monster." So that's where Oregon State fans, that's where you get excited about Beeson. I mean, that's high praise coming from one of Oregon State's best receivers ever. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely. It's good to have somebody like that vouch for you. Uh, to say the least. So that's definitely some something to get excited about. But Zariah, uh, physically, I, I think it's it's more up to not only to him but to the staff as well to kind of help him bulk up a little bit. I mean, you can't really teach height. So right. it's not like you can expect him to, to shoot up like a beanstalk over these next couple of years. But, uh, but I mean, the, the kid's got his natural playmaking abilities fast. And uh, he makes the most out of the touches that he did, does get uh, at Duncanville, who – Still has a game left to go. He still has a state championship that will be played on Saturday. This will be published on uh, Friday, I believe. So if you're listening to this and are interested in that, yeah, Zariah will be playing at the Cowboys Stadium in Texas Saturday for uh, for the state championship. So maybe uh, maybe he'll be the one that that wins it all for him. Who knows? Man, I tell you what, that's that's some uh, that's some Friday Night Lights stuff right there, man. Cowboys Stadium. I'm expecting mm-hmm. to see uh, you know. Kyle Chandler, man, jump out there and start coaching Dylan Panthers. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. It's, uh, Texas football is a lot different than, than most other places, so definitely good to have guys like Zariah coming from coming from that state or, all the or, way up to, uh, to Oregon. Yeah, or just how about the fact that like Oregon uh, state finals for playoffs was like three weeks ago. Texas is still yeah, going. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy. I mean, that's, that's what it is. And, you know, Jonathan even had a smile on his face at the press conference uh, on Wednesday when he was like, you know, Zariah's still got a game to play. We want him to go win the championship. And 
I think that's Absolutely. really cool. And just in the sense of like everyone else's, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, everyone else's season is done except for Zarias as far as Oregon State's yeah, yeah. Rec- recruits go. So, I yeah. mean, to have even in your press conference be like, hey, we've got a kid coming in that's still playing for state in Texas. I mean, that's something. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a, it's a big deal down there, and a lot of great players come from that state. So, like I was saying, certainly welcome any guy that's uh, talented and, and wants to come be a part of the program from Texas. Go ahead and keep uh, moving right along. We go next to another receiver, a legacy commit, Silas Bolden, Victor Bolden Jr.'s younger brother, five foot eight, 150 pounds. He's got almost the exact same build as his brother, too. Very small, quick. What kind of an mm-hmm. impact is he going to make at 5'8", 150? You know, not quite Champ Fleming's at 5'5", 130. But, exactly. uh, but a quick, a short, quick guy. And I think about how Victor Bolden was used in the fly sweep. And, you know, that's where you kind of got to figure where Silas Bolden can fit in as kind of a multifaceted uh, playmaker just for uh, how much speed he has. Yeah, 100%. That was actually who I was going to compare him to was was Champ Fleming's, but I actually think he's a little bit more versatile. Agreed. Uh, he, can, he he can run the ball, and uh, he's just overall a really good playmaker. Had some really really great stats this year at uh, at Rancho, so definitely a guy to to keep an eye on. Maybe might surprise some people because I'm sure you know that's just the way it is when you come play football in not a 12 but any Power Five conference that you know you got to have size, but you can't teach heart. And that's something that Silas Bolden has and something that he's definitely going to bring with him to the next level. So it'll be interesting to see if he can uh, turn some heads like Champ Fleming has done. Well, and the other thing, like you said, you can't teach is speed. And having a guy that's a state finalist in track, too. I mean, I've been saying for a long time, you know, one of the toughest things that really you don't think about when Oregon State's recruiting is that, you know, one of the knocks, if it is a knock, is that the Beavers don't have a men's track program. Right. And I think that sometimes not saying it's it's, you know, limiting or anything, but I think sometimes it's good to get those guys like, you know, Silas Bolden that are really good track stars because, you know, maybe they wanted to run track, you know, in college. And you see that's why, you know, you know, for a lot of reasons you see, you know, Oregon have successes that they can get really fast guys that also want to go run track. And, you know, uh, Marcus Wheaton ran track for Oregon State, you know, a few years ago when they kind of had a men's program. But, you know, I, I think that's that's definitely – you can't coach speed. And even though, you know, the Beavers want size, they need to get size. We saw this last year and mo- numerous times, Champ Flemings and some others. Having speed sometimes is kind of that X factor that you can't have enough of. And when I look at someone like Silas Bolden, He's got the Bolden genes, and Victor Bolden was a game changer every time he touched the ball. Obviously not going to compare him to, you know, his brother. Everyone's different and has different, you know, skill sets and whatnot. But uh, Oregon State fans got to be excited about getting another Bolden in the mix. So should be very exciting. Bring Victor back around the program. He's a great, great guy and, you know, obviously still uh, working his way through the NFL. Uh, Moving right along, maybe one of Jared's favorite players in the class. (laughs) Wide receiver Trevor Pope, uh, 6'2", 170, listed as an athlete, going to come in as a receiver most likely. The thing that is so intriguing to me about Mr. Pope is that uh, his uncle is Gary Payton, and his cousin is Gary Payton II. Enough said on my end. That's some good bloodlines. That's all I got to say. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that actually doesn't even have anything to do uh, with with his um 
or with the reason that he's one of my favorites. But that's certainly uh, interesting, and like you said, good to have that that blood going through uh, your family. So really cool there, and no doubt about it that that's a that's a benefit if nothing else. But Trevor's a really really great kid, similar to Isaiah in the sense that he's uh, he reaches out a lot. Really curious about all the guys around him who are who are joining him in the class and, and already at, at Oregon State as well. And I think Trevor has a has a chance to to be a guy that comes in and makes a makes a quick impact. He's not an early enrollee, but because of his versatility, it would be surprising to not see him at all. Uh, even if it is just in four games, so he can still have that redshirt year, it would be surprising to not see him come in and, and maybe make some plays, whether it's running the ball, catching the ball. You know, he, he had a lot of tackles on defense as well at uh, at Tracy over his senior season. He played both ways, and uh, so the guy the guy's just a, a born playmaker, and that's what he did all year. And if you follow along with our uh, our keeping track of the commits at, at Beaver's Edge, you'll just you would definitely see that uh, he had one of the more impressive resumes heading into this heading into this season. So he's a really really good kid, really good playmaker, and has a chance to to make his name known really really quickly. Yeah, you know, just kind of going through his profile a little bit. Obviously, uh, I, I like what I see. You know, the the six foot two frame is really impressive to me. It tells me he can grow a little bit into that, and you know, even maybe add a little bit more weight. And I think you know he could be a really good player. Again, the frame is really intriguing to me. And the other thing that I I, I noticed is that uh, um, art was his favorite subject uh, in school, and that tells me he's a very intuitive guy and. I, you know, kind of smart in the sense of, you know, being able to maybe see things a little bit differently, you know, maybe uh, a, a bit more uh, u- unique in how he approaches the game. So, you know, I just it's uh, he's definitely going to be an exciting guy. I love that uh, that nugget that somehow uh, he turned out to be um, the nephew of arguably, you know, the great one of the greatest players in Oregon State history in terms of basketball. So that's really cool for, you know, just the athletics as a whole. Uh, and, you know, like you said, early, not going to be an early enrollee, but still uh, an impressive player that uh, could make some moves for Oregon State. So moving right along, uh, thanks for joining us here on the Edge podcast. Uh, just a reminder, uh, Brandon Slaughter alongside Jared Hallis breaking down Oregon State's 2019 uh, class. And, you know, as, as it kind of comes and comes through, uh, we're getting closer to the midway point here. Uh, just a also friendly reminder that you can check out all of our content at beaversedge.com. We got a lot of free stuff right now uh, for signing day. We're kind of giving you all a snippet of what we do throughout the year. So make sure to go check that stuff out. And then we've got a great holiday deal right now, uh, giving away a free $75 Nike gift card with a subscription to Beaver's Edge. So don't miss out on that opportunity. Moving right along to the class, we end up at tight end. And the Beavers got two really good players at tight end. A lot of things kind of had to happen and go right for the Beavers to get both of these guys. And my first reaction is, we'll start with Jake Overman. A guy that Oregon State won a big-time recruiting battle against Washington with. And, you know, you look at where the program is, I think that's very indicative of it being on the rise because more often times than not, you're not going to find a kid that's going to pick Oregon State over Washington Oregon State also had the benefit of, you know, the Chris Peterson thing, you know, kind of coming out. And also, you know, they recruited Jake Overman well. But if it hadn't been for, you know, Chris Peterson kind of maybe being on the edge and Isaiah Smalls leaving the program, it would have been interesting to see if they'd locked down both of these guys. Yeah, certainly. I, I think the plan all along was to only take one tight end. 
But uh, when Tommy committed first, it's actually a really interesting situation if you if you follow along with that with that Beaver's Edge. Uh, Tommy Tommy committed first, but the timing of it was quite, uh, I guess, really really just couldn't have been worse timing because Tommy committed while while Jake was on his official visit over the summer, and uh, like I said, the plan all along was to take one tight end. So that had to create a little bit of an awkward situation, or you would think it would have, but Oregon State coaches handled it just about as good as they could have, pulled Jake aside into the office and said, you're our guy, we really want you in this class. And what they did was pull a scholarship from a different position and let him know that if, if he wants it, it's his. And uh took a long time, longer than even he expected it to, um, but – he ended up making a good choice, and it was a very thorough choice. He, he he really weighed out all his options. He gave everybody a fair chance. But at the end of the day, Corvallis was the place that was always in the back of his mind. Really, really big kid. Doesn't uh doesn't you know have any crazy stats. Saw saw some limited action at uh at Servite over his senior season, but really great kid. Really big kid. Definitely a coachable guy that you can turn into a really really good tight end in the future. So my my thing when I'm looking at Jake Overman, I'm obviously. Very excited about him in the class, and we'll get to Tommy Spencer here in a minute. And I talked to uh, Jake Overman about a week and a half ago and, you know, just kind of got his thoughts on when the coaches came in to visit with him. And, and he, he, he noted to me, it was like, you know, exactly what you said. The coaching staff was up front. They knew what they were going to, you know, they told him this is what's up. And, you know, not to backtrack too much, but that's the same thing they told Ben Gilbranson. Ben, ben knew all along that Oregon State was looking for another quarterback and looking for a guy that – would come in and probably presumably be ahead of him based on the fact that he was going to have prior experience. And he was fine with that. He's like, you know, Coach Linger and Coach Smith, they were up front with me the whole time. And that's where it goes back to Jake Overman, and it's like building those incredible relationships. And, you know, we talk about it over and over again, how important the relationship aspect of recruiting is. And this class really showcases how this staff, you know, you're only as good as the staff around you. And Jonathan Smith put together one heck of a staff to be able to go out, build these relationships, keep them solid, and to have such a good relationship that you get all these kids to send in their letter of intents with no, you know, worry or anything like that. It's impressive. And, you know, you look at um, Overman, the limited senior season. What do you read into with that? I mean, you can't really read much into whether it was for injury or just the fact that that his offense wasn't wasn't really throwing him the ball that much. It's not something that you can look too far into. The way I look at it is if, if the coaches saw something in him that they like, which which very obviously they did, being that he was still their guy even after them taking a tight end. That there's something about him that you know speaks to speaks to the staff, and obviously they're a better evaluator of count than than I am. So or yeah, uh, either of us. <laughs> so definitely. Uh, something to to keep in the back of your mind that even if he did not have the greatest stats throughout his high school career uh if the coaches did see something in him that they like then you know there's a there's obviously a reason that he's there and, and he's got great size so with some good coaching he could become a really really good playmaker down the line yeah absolutely we'll go ahead and slide on down to tommy spencer uh coming in at six foot six two hundred and fifty Again, great size, and the build reminds me a lot of Tegan Quatoriano in a lot of ways, and I think he could be exactly that kind of a same player. He's going to be one heck of a blocker at that size. I mean, shoot, he, I mean, you got to figure he's probably going to add on a little bit more even maybe with uh, that frame or the potential, rather, 
Uh, it's almost with a guy like him, it's almost be like having an extra right tackle in there or left tackle. I mean, he's got yeah. tremendous size, and that will help running game, passing game, blocking. Um, yes, Tommy Spencer's a, a really under the radar guy, and I remember when he committed, everyone you know, kind of surrounding the you know program and whatnot was like, oh, you know, they got Tommy Spencer. Now they might not get Jake Overman. Well, they ended up getting them both, and now they're going to have shoot arguably could have one of the best tight end duos. I mean, move over Stanford, Oregon State might have tight end you uh-huh. now. Yeah, yeah, and they're 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 two guys that are, you know, developing a relationship already. I think they plan on rooming together at Oregon State, so that will certainly help both on the field and off the field chemistry. Um, but another guy where, you know, like you said, really big kid, didn't like Overman didn't have an amazing senior season, but only was targeted, you know, a few times. Got caught 11 passes. But the thing about the 11 passes that he caught was that he he, he ran for afterwards, he averaged 17.2 yards. So when the guy has the ball in his hands, big plays happen. So even if that is for just 11 plays a year, <laughs> it can obviously, that those those 11 plays can, can turn the tide of a game. And uh, obviously, Oregon State throws the ball a lot more than that. So, I think uh, I think there's some big playmaking ability in Tommy Spencer, and you'll see that at the next level. No, 100%. And uh, moving right along up to the offensive line. Uh, first up, Cooper Darling, six foot four, 310 pounds from Gilbert, Arizona. Uh, one of Oregon State's two um, offensive linemen in the class. Uh, grad transfer Corbin Sorensen from Portland State will be joining the fold at a later date. But for now, mm-hmm. it's just these two guys. Or sorry, Cooper Darling first. We'll get to Talise Fuaga in just a moment. But Cooper Darling, uh, what do you like most about him, Jared? Yeah, well, another really, really great kid who comes from a, a really awesome family. Uh, you can keep track on Twitter. Both him and his dad, Mike, are always very vocal as far as recruiting for the team and just expressing how excited they are to, to get to Oregon State. He watched every game all season long. If you Another thing where if you follow along, you would see that Every time uh, Oregon State got a win, I would shoot him a message, and he was just so so excited. Always had a lot to say about the way the team played, and uh, actually got he, he won the state championship as well, five A state champions in Arizona. And uh, rivals had a guy out there for ArizonaHighSchoolFootball.com who uh, shot me a message after the game, saying that that Darling was the most physical presence on that line uh, throughout the game throughout the season. And uh, he's on the same line as the Oklahoma commit. So Cooper Darling is definitely a, a welcome addition to this class, somebody that stuck around for a long time. I believe he was the fourth to join. So really great kid, great on the field, and a great character off the field as well. Well, and then you look at all that potential, and then you combine him with what I believe and what is universally you know, believed to be a truth, that Jim Mahalchek is one of the best offensive line coaches in the West Coast, if not the country. And you know, you look at how he'll be able to develop Darling over the next you know couple years. The size, I mean, physically, he's already ready. I mean, six foot four, three ten. I mean, that's ready. I mean, no need. I mean, oh, yeah. that's physically ready to go, and that's impressive. Um, you know, we'll, we'll kind of use that as a springboard to move over to uh, Talise Fuaga, who again, Oregon State second line. They go six foot six, three twenty five. Here's another kid that is immediately physically ready. I'm not saying Absolutely. Cooper Darling and Fuaga are going to go and start on the line this year. That's not what I'm saying at all, but. Physically, the Beavers the last couple of years have not had guys that are at a level physically where they can come in and you know acclimate to Division One football right away. They usually need a couple of years in the weight room compared to these two guys that you know just basically probably need to fine tune their their bodies and get in you know ideal shape. But 
impressive nonetheless. Yeah, yeah, I think it's both of the guys fit the perfect mold that, that Coach M's looking for. And uh, I mean, like you like you pointed out, six six three twenty five and and six four three ten, just massive humans. There's no other <laughs> way to put it. <laughs> they're just massive humans. So uh, they're they're welcome additions to the class. They have a chance to to make an early impact. As they already are physically ready, like you said, not not proclaiming they're going to start or anything, but they certainly are giving themselves a chance physically uh, because they will look good in those pads come fall. Yeah, I, I tell you what, I mean, I'm just like thinking in my head, trying to do the math. Jared, I think you and I together weigh less than Mr. Fuaga. <laughs> yes, probably so. I mean, I, I'm 150 and less, so doing the math, unless you're just a massive human yourself, I mean, that's that's crazy, right? A little bit. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a big human. That's a very big I human. I didn't think about it that way. I'm about 170. Yeah, so, yep. They they they're both weighing more than us right now. That's crazy. That's crazy. Um, great size coming for the Beavers, obviously up front with those two guys, and it'll be interesting to see what it's um, what happens when those guys uh, come in and um, get acclimated with the program and you know kind of start to rise up. We'll go ahead and flip to the other side before we do. Again, just a reminder. Uh, thanks for joining us here on the Edge Podcast. Brendan Slaughter, managing editor, alongside recruiting analyst Jared Hallis. We're back on the Edge podcast uh, just a little under a week to go before Christmas. And Oregon State, again, inked 19 players on Wednesday as a part of this recruiting class. We're breaking it down uh, for the full in-depth coverage on Oregon State and particularly the in-depth recruiting nuggets based on what we got coming in now. And then we're already going to start taking a look over to 2021. Kids, Jared and I will be Hitting the ground running, talking to those guys here soon. You're going to want to sign up for beaversedge.com. we got a great deal going right now where you can get a free Nike gift card. Again, that, that information will be in the links, so check that out. Uh, moving to the defensive line, Thion Lolohia. What are your thoughts on him? Yeah, so there was a lot of different guys they, they could have went for to close out the class for the defensive line, but, you know, Sion went out for a visit at the beginning of December, and – there was something about it that caught the coach's eye because immediately afterwards he was at the top of their board. So that obviously tells you that there's something about him that's just a playmaker. And he actually grew up in, in uh, Hawaii, Maui, I believe, and moved out to San Bernardino for his senior season to uh, to get some more recognition. And obviously it paid off as he finds himself at Oregon State. And he, he had some other offers as well. I think he took an official visit to Boise State and unofficial to Colorado before making his way to Corvallis ultimately decided that uh, the best opportunity for him was, was there. So it's a great, great addition to the class. And like I said earlier, the coaches are a better evaluator of talent than, than anybody. So they saw something they liked in him. He made a lot of plays his senior year at Aquinas. So definitely going to be somebody to keep an eye on uh, moving forward. No doubt. And again, nice size at six foot three, 235 pounds. It'll be interesting to see uh, how quickly he can kind of rise up the defensive line as the Beavers have some nice pieces and, you know, potentially, you know, even those edge rushers, those hybrid guys that can, you know, play defensive line and outside linebacker. So be interesting to see now that they have some depth, obviously depth on the defensive line. Very, very welcome um, uh, for uh, defensive line coach Leahy Sawinoa. It's just the Beavers have been playing catch up. And you know this as well as anybody, Jared, still getting the necessary depth on the defensive line. That's maybe been the biggest hamstring, hamstrung part of where the coaching staff has had their t- hands tied by the previous staff's, staff's ineptability to recruit. 
and they still haven't had the depth needed to compete up front. This is that class where, okay, now they're starting to have enough talents and bodies to be able to be relevant in that position. Sure, it's definitely a, one of the more important positions. I would say you, to, to, be, to be a really good college football team, I think you need to have a good quarterback and you need to have a good defensive line. Uh, so for, for them to be bringing in high-quality guys at those positions and uh, a good versatile mix as well with, uh, with Sion out of high school and then Tavis out of uh, the junior college ranks as well, uh, definitely going to make things a lot better moving forward. Yeah, you just mentioned, so we'll go ahead and transition right on over to Tavis Shippen. Uh, signed back in June, you know, Tavis was a guy that, you know, um, Oregon State fans kind of w- probably wished he was eligible and came this last year because he tore it up. I mean, this is a guy that uh, I think, you know, you talk about sleepers. I think this guy is a guy that's, in my opinion, much higher than his two-star rank. I think he has the potential to be very, very good. Yeah, Davis is a really, really good playmaker. Obviously a, a big guy, six foot three, 290 pounds. Made a lot of plays uh, in his career at Mount San Jacinto. Uh, before taking a, a redshirt season in uh, 2019. So an, another early enrollee for the class. Somebody definitely keep your eye on moving forward. And then moving down to linebacker. This this is an interesting grouping of the of linebackers as the Beavers bring in two native Oregonians, the only native Oregonians in the recruiting class, John Miller mm-hmm. out of Tualatin, my neck of the woods. Shout out to John. Uh, always got <laughs> to have uh, high praise for those Division One athletes that can come out of this area because it's uh, – you know, he said it best, you know, Tualatin's not known for um, big-time Division One players, just kind of like my alma mater, Sherwood, has only produced, you know, David Morris in recent times. So, you know, it's when you kind of get those guys that come out of, uh, you know, the uh, the mid-level schools here in the Portland metro area, you know, John Miller talked about, you know, how he's known Trent Bray for three years and, like, essentially it was like, I didn't want to go anywhere else and no one else really came after me that hard, so it was never any choice for Oregon State. Right. He uh he committed back in December of 2018 and essentially locked things down. So there was never really any worries of him being poached or anything like that, but did have a really, really solid senior year, a uh, really good record over his three seasons, the three seasons he played varsity, that is. At, uh, so really good football player, really versatile guy as well, played both sides over there in high school, made a lot of plays on offense and defense. Looks like 87 tackles, nine tackles for loss. And, uh, 118 tackles overall as a senior. So just really, really great football player and uh, somebody to keep your eye on moving forward. Yeah, obviously he's going to be a fall camp guy. I see Miller as a guy that's probably going to climb a redshirt year. He might play. I think, uh, sure. you know, he, he, he'll he grow. I think he's a guy kind of you'll, you'll keep an eye on in coming years. Um, definitely some talent there. Moving down uh, to Jason Walling. Uh, obviously a legacy commit. Had really, really impressive couple years at McNary. Uh, just kind of talk about what the Beavers are getting in him, not only to get a guy that, you know, I think has just a tremendous motor. I loved his offer sheet because he had offer sheets, a very, very smart linebacker, offer sheets from several Ivy League schools. So that, mm-hmm. so that tells me a very smart and intuitive linebacker. He loves to hit. Jonathan Smith talked about it yesterday. He has an incredible stopping power. And then you combine all that with the fact that he grew up a diehard Oregon State fan. That's an that's an uncanny combo for a defender. That's it really is. And you know, uh, even you know, just contrast to John Miller, who you know he kind of grew up liking multiple teams. Jason Walling's a, was a Beaver fan, and you know that when you get 
those guys that are really talented that play with an edge that are playing for basically their dream school, their alma mater, whatever you want to call it. There's a little bit of extra tenacity, I would say, maybe, that he's going to bring to the field. Certainly. Yeah, certainly. And, and he's a, you mentioned that already, really great kid, both on and off the field. Like you said, had a lot of Ivy League offers. And just another guy that's, that's just a pleasure to talk to. Definitely. Uh, and, and even more of a pleasure to, to watch on the field. The guy, I think, 41 consecutive starts at McNary. So, Obviously, a guy who's like just strong kid, never gonna back down. I'm sure there was times where he felt banged up. Oh yeah. Or uh, maybe even got banged up. To start 41 consecutive games is just crazy, uh, especially tough. as a high schooler. Tough. So, He's very tough. Yeah, just tough kid. The kind of guy that Oregon State looks to bring in. You always see the tree graphics, and uh, you know maybe he's just another one of those trees that are coming in. A lot of a lot of big kids in this class, which I think is. Uh, becoming more necessary as, as, as time goes on and, and these kids continue to evolve. But really big kid, another guy that can make plays both on offense and defense. Obviously, I think he'll he'll stick to linebacker at the next level, but made a lot of plays catching the ball for, for McNary throughout his career there as well. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. When I look at uh, Walling, I compare him a little bit. He reminds me a little bit of the, uh, of, you know, obviously I expect Walling to be more of an inside guy, but just the presence and kind of the, the wherewithal to make the right smart plays. He reminds me of Riley Sharp a little bit in the sense of, you know, he's really smart, he works really hard, very blue-collar, really, you know, um, just a good kid. And you look at, you know, Jason, I mean, like you said, talking to him, He's just a humble kid. He's a humble kid, and you know he fits that mold of what the Beavers want to bring in. Yeah, yeah, and another another legacy guy. His dad uh, led it at Oregon State in '91 and '92, so a welcome addition to the class, and somebody who will will be a, a fun guy to watch as, as time goes on. Sliding on down to uh, the Beavers' outside linebacker in this class, Shane Cady, six foot two, two hundred pounds. It's going to be interesting. Do you see him more as that outside linebacker, or do you think he could maybe be more one of those hybrid guys? He was someone that I was a little interested in, depending on where he goes with his build. Yeah, yeah. Do you mean hybrid as in like a like a defensive line linebacker hybrid? Potentially, like yeah. I mean, it's at 200 pounds. I mean, I guess it's, he's only at 200 pounds right now, but I looked at some of mm-hmm. his tape, and he was able to, you know, he did some stuff with his, you know, hand on the ground too. So yeah, yeah. I, I'm interested to kind of see because, again, one of those guys where the Beavers just get a versatile guy that you know I think could play multiple positions, and they've done that a couple uh, with several guys in this class, which has been very impressive to me. Yeah, Shane's a really, really good player, and like you, like you said, has a chance to to make an impact at, at different positions, and that flexibility is something that you definitely look for as these kids continue to uh, to evolve. So Shane's a really good playmaker. Does have I think he does have a chance to to maybe be kind of a hybrid guy. Like you said, makes a lot of plays with his hands and is able to to use his size and quickness to his advantage to to get off the edge and and get to the quarterback. Yeah, no, and, and you know, you just look at some of his stats. You know, he he got after the quarterback well in his four or in his career, and um, I I really like what he brings. Again, just another guy that's you know probably going to need a little bit of time to develop, but you know, diamonds in the rough a little bit, so to speak. I mean, you know, the Beavers didn't go out and sign a bunch of four star kids, but they signed guys that I think have tremendous upside and katie fits that bill perfectly yeah 12 sacks in your year i mean that can't be overlooked at all four four fumbles too so the kids got a knack for the ball as well so definitely uh definitely a guy who can who can get back there no doubt again uh, thanks for listening to the beaver's edge podcast brendan slaughter alongside jared hallis for breaking down oregon state's 2020 
recruiting class. They inked 19 players on Wednesday, the majority of the class that's set in stone, top 45 nationally. We'll move down to defensive back now where, you know, maybe Oregon State's, maybe the gem position group that they pulled out was secondary. They knew they needed a need for some athletic, tall, and long corners. It was one of the weaknesses of the team this year was not having enough depth to go five wide against Washington State or any of those you know high-powered air raid teams, and they go and sign three extremely impressive player or four extremely impressive players, excuse me, in the secondary. Just initial thoughts before we break down as a whole, Jared. This has mm-hmm. to be one of the more impressive position groups that they got, especially with the late weight addition of uh, Rajon Wright. Yeah, certainly, and all from the JUCO as well. So they're they're guys that will have that in common. Will be able to probably, you know, these these kids know each other because they're all playing against each other. Except for Jonathan Riley, he's he's from Kilgore, Texas, and uh, Maryland native. So he's he, not him, but <laughs> but you know all Joy and Ray John Ryder cousins for crying out loud. And then uh, they both got to play against Ronald Harge at uh, at City College of San Francisco uh, this last season. Alton didn't play because he took a redshirt year, but, you know, these guys know each other. They know of each other at the very least. So a lot of chemistry there. And a lot, uh, like you like you mentioned, a really big class, a lot of tall guys, nobody under six foot two. So that's definitely impressive. And uh, those are the kind of guys that you look for. And some like, like Jonathan Smith noted in the press conference yesterday, some of these kids have three years. So it, it'll be interesting. It's like you're getting somebody – with the experience that will end up playing the same amount of time as they would if they came out of high school. Yeah, no doubt. We'll, we'll break these guys down. And, you know, Jonathan Smith, you know, when he talked about guys that are going to contribute right away, he said everyone in the secondary. Everyone. So, I mean, you look at that and, yeah, you know, was- yeah, I mean, just breaking it. I mean, that's impressive. And, you know, they, they got their guys, you know, from what you and I had seen, they identified who they wanted to bring in the secondary, and they got their guys. You know, they got some experience. They're not, you know, freshmen coming in. You know, they'll have to adjust, obviously, to the Division One game. And, you know, we saw that curve be a little... I mean, Nashon, obviously, you know, got in the groove. But after about game six, he was really, really good. Like, you could tell, you know, he had that acclimation period. You know, games one, two, three, four, five, kind of working his way. Right? I'm sorry? He wears number 21, right? Uh yes yes that's correct yeah so you have to you have to be good if you wear that number it's, <laughs> it's an unwritten rule unwritten rule you unwritten when you have to be a playmaker oh uh, hey I mean I like it so he um yeah I mean he really came into his own late in the year and that's where I think all three of these guys could as well we'll start with Ron Hardage the third six foot two one eighty five he's got three years to play two so he's got two seasons of eligibility coming in what do you like most about Ron Hardage? Yeah, really, really good playmaker. Made a lot of plays even this year at uh, sorry, at uh, at City College of San Francisco. So another guy who will come in. I think he got some kind of first team honors. Uh, he posted something about it on Twitter. First team All League during his high school career as well. So he's been making plays for a while. Played at Cardinal Gibbons down in Florida, which is a really, really good school. Uh, so really good playmaker. Uh, guy from the JUCO ranks has that experience already. 27 tackles, 1.5 tackles for loss, an interception, and three pass breakups. He did uh, did have that stint at Illinois, but ultimately decided that it wasn't for him before before heading out to uh, to San Francisco and a future Beaver. Somebody definitely be excited about. Yeah, he's one of one of those guys that could come in and immediately contend for 
starting playing time as the Beavers, you know, want to have multiple corners on the field. Up next, you know, Alton Julian didn't play this year, but I don't think that scared away the coaching staff. I think he, in terms of a ceiling, I think he might have the most ceiling of these guys coming in. I love his potential. Yeah, Alton Julian's a good guy. I think I think the, the redshirt stuff was kind of more of a decision that probably was even made a little bit by the coaches. He's a really high-recruited guy. He was committed to Colorado before Oregon State, so it could have had something to do with them as well. But obviously you won't see uh, any other Beaver coaches complaining because now he has that extra year of eligibility. Going to come in as an early enrollee. And uh, definitely, got, I mean, great, another great dude. Uh, has family ties, obviously committed to the Wright brothers. Or, sorry, uh, related to the Wright brothers. So definitely, I just said committed, man. If that's not the life of a recruiting analyst, I don't know what is. But... <laughs> Yeah, uh, really, really great kid. So excited to to see him at the next level for sure. Yeah, and then we'll move right along the uh, the, you know, like I said, I think Jonathan Riley might need to hit up Winston Russell because those two are like the only guys on that Oregon State defense that are from very far away. You mentioned um, Jonathan Riley being a Maryland guy. I remember when they went after Winston Russell and he was coming from the Chicago ish area, if I remember correctly, and then. Also have, you know, uh, Jeremy Reichner, who came from Philly. But for the most part, you know, they identified him. The Beavers aren't getting those. They're not targeting those guys to come across country because, you know, we saw that really struggle in the Gary Anderson era when he got brought over a lot of kids from Florida and a lot of kids. It's, it's hard to keep kids when you bring them across the country and keep them for four or five years. And that's what I've and that's why I think. Oregon State's been really smart identifying kids in the California West Coast area because it's not quite as much of a, I'm not going to say a burden, so to speak, but I think it just, I think the mental makeup, I think it's tough when you move, you know, across the country, you don't really know anybody, it's a different culture and all those things, and that's why I give Jonathan Riley credit, I mean, he's kind of coming into Oregon State blind, you know, you've got a guy that, Kilgore, Texas, but Maryland native, you know? Yeah, if you if you pay attention to to his social media, you would know that uh, the Jonathan Riley posts and his family, man, those guys are excited. I think they had a they had a signing day ceremony at his house. They had cake, they had napkins, plates, everything was black and orange. Those guys are really excited. Uh, the, the staff went out there at the beginning of the month and uh, they went to Top Golf and, and things like that. He's one of the the more recent commits in the class. Uh, Thirty four tackles throughout his his freshman season at Kilgore. So really good playmaker, has three years to play three as well, just like Alton. So a guy that can come in and have a long-term impact on this program. And last but not least, we arrive at Rajon Wright. Committed the night before signing day, flipped over, or not flipped over rather, but was considered maybe to be a bit of a Colorado lean. And then he ends up coming over to join Nashon Wright and cousin Alton Julian. I mean, again, six foot three, one seventy five. You're basically getting a, a, another right, another nation. And and after what he showed in year one, uh, I love his potential. And I think the Beavers got another really good one here. And again, when you get brothers and families uh, together, it's you know that again big. Like I talked about with uh, Jason Walling having the the sense of pride being an Oregonian defending Oregon State. Well, now you have guys like Nation Wright, Julian, and Rajon Wright that have that pride in defending the family, which the family in this case yeah. is Oregon State. So I think that will another very subtle culture, culture-ish culture thing that I think will pay dividends down the line. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, one thing that's definitely worth noting, I was on the phone with Ray John uh, the day before he committed, and 
he I was talking to him just confirming that he was a, an early enrollee and everything like that. And I was like, oh, cool, man. Well, you'll, have, you'll definitely have a chance to, to get your name in the rotation uh, before before the season starts. And this man says with absolutely no hesitation, no stutter, no nothing, he says, oh, I'll be in the rotation. I was like, oh, wow. Okay, well, I, I like that mentality. And honestly, a defensive back is a mentality that you have to have. It's one of the hardest positions to play on the field. And I think a lot of the guys – that play that position do have that mentality. It's definitely something you need. It's good for him to have that confidence coming in. And uh, like you said, family, family guy has uh, his, his cousin committed in the classroom and his brother already making play. So an opportunity for something really special in the Oregon State secondary. No doubt. And that wraps up the, the us breaking down the 19, there are the 19 signees. Again, you can head on over to beaversedge.com. We've got free content that's uh, covering all those guys. And then again, we got a great deal going right now where you can sign up for Beavers Edge and get all the recruiting uh, nuggets, information, all the in-depth team analysis, and get a free $75 Nike gift card. So go ahead and check that out. It'll be in the links of the podcast. Uh, just the last couple things, just stemming from signing day. Uh, spring practices will obviously uh, start uh, in March. Oregon State will go for two weeks and then take a break uh, for spring break, come back and wrap up in April. Uh, heading into February, Jonathan Smith said they've left themselves a little bit of flexibility in terms of scholarship numbers to potentially still add a couple more guys, uh, transfer uh, high school, depending on, you know, situations and what happens there. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the last thing was just pretty much Smith addressed, uh, some of the rumors regarding the coaching staff and, um, you know, didn't say anything firm, but his body language and the way he was talking backs up the report we got from uh, Adam Rittenberg of ESPN about a week ago that said Brian Lindgren's not going anywhere. He turned down Arizona State. So Jonathan Smith said he expects all 10 of his assistant coaches to have a wonderful Christmas and be back with the team next year. So, you know, it may seem... I just kind of want to touch on this a little bit because we haven't touched on it uh, in our previous podcast, Jared. Keeping Lindgren, it might not seem huge now, and but I believe it is big in the long term because sooner or later I do believe he will be a head coach one day. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Oregon State's got one of the better offenses that that you'll see. Honestly, there's nothing more impressive than watching those guys. It happened very first, very first uh, possession of the season. You know, against Oklahoma State, they come out, they drive down the field, and they score a touchdown with ease. Yep. And that's just something that, that, that they'll continue to do under him so it's definitely big for for them to be able to keep him around and it speaks not only about coach smith and his vision but the vision of the program as a whole moving forward well and and again you're only as good as your assistants and and you know that's definitely something that oregon state fans would kind of have their eyes roll a little bit because you know there have been a few bad egg assistants that have worked their way through you know particularly through the anderson era and even some more questionable assistants in the riley era you know, you have to, you, when you look at this, I mean, Jonathan Smith, he identified a strong staff. The staff has stayed whole. And outside of um, uh, losing or we're having to replace, uh, put Blue Adams in after year one, uh, you know, there wasn't really much attrition. And, and Oregon State, you know, 
um, I'm drawing a blank on his name at the moment, losing their quarterbacks coach to USC. It didn't even hardly phase him as Blue Adams came in and I think has been even more effective in that role for the Beavers. Yeah, it's definitely important, like you said, that you're, you're only as good as your assistants. So for those guys to, to stick around, is uh, definitely important, and it's going to be fun to, to watch what they can do as time goes by. Let's go ahead and, uh, yeah, just kind of touch base on uh, what's next in terms of what's the outlook is for Beaver's Edge, what we got coming up. So, uh, obviously, Christmas right around the corner. Happy holidays from all of us here at beaversedge.com. And, um, you know, as you're kind of uh, – we're kind of getting into it, we'll have – some in-depth looks at some 2021 kids here coming up in the next couple weeks. We've got more signing day coverage coming up as well. And then more importantly, uh, basketball season now is in full swing. We'll kind of turn our team focus uh, away from football and over to the two basketball teams here for the next couple months until spring football starts. As Oregon State's got two teams now that are showing big-time potential, obviously have the women's basketball team number four in the country right now, sporting a 10-0 record. They recently knocked off Northern Arizona in Hawaii. It must be nice, Jared, to be in Maui right now. No, absolutely. It's freezing down <laughs> around that, so I would definitely not mind being there. Yeah, no, the Beavers making their annual trip over to Hawaii, as they always do, uh, knocking off Northern Arizona 91-57 remain unbeaten they take on BYU to uh, Thursday night uh, as we are recording this podcast and then they're uh, back at home coming up for their final non-conference game on the 29th they take a Christmas break um, but Oregon State strong potential to potentially finish uh, the non-conference season undefeated they open conference play the first weekend of January against Utah and Colorado at home Moving on over to the men's basketball side Wayne Tinkle and company have had an impressive start to the season jumping out to 9-1, and one, their only loss coming against Oklahoma at the Moda Center in the PK Invitational. Outside of that game, the Beavers have been quite stellar this year and now have games against Texas A&M and North Dakota. The Texas A&M game this Saturday coming up going to be very important for the Beavers if they can pull that off and then come back uh, against North Dakota at home on December 29th. They have the potential to have just one loss in non-conference and for a team that has deep NCAA tournament aspirations. Uh, you know, this is obviously a strong step in the right direction, and they open Pac-12 play on the road with Utah and Colorado just after the first of the year. So lots of things going on right now for Oregon State. Impressive signing day from Jonathan Smith. Scott Ruick's team is a top five nationally and looking like they're going to be making a deep run this year. And then Wayne Tinkle's squad obviously trying to get back and make a run at the NSA tournament this year off to a fantastic start as well. So as you're kind of settling in, uh, stick with beaversedge.com. We're going to have complete coverage of the Oregon State men's team, women's basketball team, and then Jared and I are also going to continue with strong recruiting coverage of this 2020 class while also looking ahead to the 2021 class. We'll go ahead and wrap it up here on the Beaver's Edge podcast. Thanks for listening, and we hope subscribe. Join up at beaversedge.com. we got a great deal going right now, so don't miss that, and have a wonderful Christmas. I mean, Jared, it's, it's the most wonderful time of the year coming up. Certainly is. I'm excited to spend some time with the family and, uh, you know, get out of this crazy world of recruiting for a day. But uh, definitely excited also to, to jump in head first to this, this 2021 class and, and uh, wrap up 2020 in uh, February. An exciting time to be a Beaver fan. Your men's basketball team is great. Your women's basketball team is great. Your football team just signed 19 kids and are on the uprise. There is not a better time to join BeaversEdge.com to follow your Oregon State coverage. So for Jared Hallis, I'm Brendan Slaughter. Signing off on the Edge podcast. Thanks for listening. 
and have a happy holidays for all of us here at Beaver's Edge. <laughs>